Like so many parts of healthcare, the term harm reduction has many different meanings depending on who you're speaking with. In the Canadian context, when we hear the term harm reduction, we might think of it as synonymous with efforts to mitigate the impacts of the poison drug supply crisis. In reality, however, harm reduction in Canada has been an organized public health effort for over 60 years. In the beginning, it was a grassroots effort. In 1964, Ontario's Addiction Research Foundation provided Canada's first methadone treatment program. By the early 1970s, methadone was being prescribed in every province, including BC. The HIV epidemic in the late 1980s resulted in increasing rates of HIV among people using injection drugs. Informal peer-to-peer networks emerged to distribute unused syringes to those in need to stop the spread of HIV. Within a few years, the Government of Canada began to financially support these efforts, until that funding was cut in the early 90s and replaced with other forms of support. One of the most significant steps the federal government took to support harm reduction, albeit with no shortage of controversy or bureaucratic hoops, were the federal legal exemptions. This allowed Insight, the first sanctioned supervised consumption site in North America, to open in 2003, and Naomi, the first clinical trial of heroin-assisted treatment to start in 2005. Federal support for harm reduction initiatives were seriously hampered under Stephen Harper's Conservative government from 2006 to 2015, when the federal government took insight to court, mandatory minimums for drug-related offenses were introduced, and several other financial and policy changes tried to undermine harm reduction efforts in Canada. During this period, public and healthcare support for harm reduction persisted largely because of the efforts of NGOs and individual provincial funding and policy initiatives. As the mid-2010s approached in the lead-up to the 2015 federal election, the Liberal Party publicly endorsed supervised consumption sites and programs that would ensure syringe distribution in federal prisons. Shortly after the Liberal Party formed a majority government in Canada in 2015, harm reduction efforts also gained more public support in light of the emerging poison drug supply crisis. In April 2016, a public health emergency was declared in BC following increasing fentanyl-related overdose deaths across the province. This declaration opened the doors to an increasing number of harm reduction efforts, such as wider availability of both supervised consumption sites and distribution of naloxone kits. Sadly, however, the number of opioid-related deaths has been sustained at an untenable rate over the last five years. According to BC's coroner's service, the poison drug supply crisis claims 1,716 lives in 2020, more than deaths by homicides, suicides, and car crashes combined. This reality has left many people questioning why our municipal, provincial, and federal governments are not doing more in regards to harm reduction to save people's lives. When we know, based on research and practical experience, that options like providing supervised consumption sites and safe access to pharmaceutical-grade opioids can save lives. With that knowledge, we must ask, whose rights are we protecting by curtailing such efforts, and whose are being ignored? In today's episode, our guest Cheryl will share what harm reduction means to her as a nurse working in Vancouver's downtown east side. We'll also delve into the topic of how we can consciously destigmatize harm reduction efforts so they're not just, quote, ways of life reserved for people deeply entrenched in opioid use. For many people, harm reduction means efforts to reduce the harm strictly associated with substance use. 
But we want to challenge this narrative by asking our listeners to consider how each of us make decisions and engage in behaviors every day to reduce the harms presented by our environments, lifestyles, vocations, and so forth. For example, every time we get in a car and put on a seatbelt, we are reducing harms. When we purchase alcohol from a liquor store, we are purchasing from a regulated source and we are reducing harms. When we brush our teeth, lock our front door, exercise, seek therapy, take medication for chronic health conditions, we are engaging in harm reduction. As nurses working in the areas of mental health and substance use, we strongly believe that any conversation about harm reduction ought to include a precursor of self-reflection, wherein we ask ourselves about how we view risk, what type and degree of risk we consider acceptable in our own lives, and how those perspectives undoubtedly impact our work with clients and colleagues. With that thought in mind, let us turn now to our interview with Cheryl. Thanks so much for joining us on this month's episode of The Shift Change with myself, Michelle, my co-host Claire, and our guest this month is Cheryl. Before we dive in, Cheryl, can you introduce yourself, including a bit about your nursing career, and then also tell us a bit about your life outside nursing? Okay. Hi, my name is Cheryl. Um, I have been a mental health and substance use nurse for the last 21 years. Um, I'm currently working in the downtown east side. I live in East Vancouver. I'm very happy to be joining you today um, from where I live, breathe, and play on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh and Musqueam's nations. Outside of work, I'm a mom. Uh, I'm an avid knitter. I am a terrible banjo player, and I am a hopeful and hopeless romantic. <laughs> Amazing. I love that intro and I love the combination of knitting and banjo. Um, yeah, I'm a big believer in having a very rich outside of work life. Um, that's definitely one of the things that I've learned along the way after being a nurse for the last 21 years was um, finding that sense of balance and making sure to come from a place of wellness and meaning and hope myself so that, you know, I, I believe it's really contagious and that in and of itself is a form of harm reduction. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of brings us to the topic for this month. And just to get the conversation started, can you tell us in as broad or specific terms as you like, what does harm reduction mean to you? The first thing I think about when I look at harm reduction, everybody has this concept that it's, it's just about substance. I have learned um, through my career that really the first place with harm reduction for me is that it's about relationship. Uh, it's about creating positive connection and it's about creating safety and dignity and self-agency. And also too, I think a lot of people forget that harm reduction is also about identifying and helping to combat a lot of social injustice and, and creating, a sense of uh, creating a sense of equity for everyone involved in, in society. Can you tell us a bit about harm reduction and the harm reduction approach? how it's looked in your career and how it's played out in your clinical practice as a nurse. In the area that I work in, it's supervised opiate agonist therapy. So a lot of people get the idea that it's about us just giving free drugs to people. And, and that is one of the biggest myths that I have and, and I think barriers that I that I have to that I'm very, very passionate about breaking down and, and, and seeing it as saying to people that it's not just about providing free drugs because 
when we are able to provide clients with a safe space to be able to address their needs, in, in particular with substances, it also helps to create a lot of the harm surrounded around it. People don't really take into account the other harms that are also involved, like creating a safe and clean space can actually help with a lot of infections that can happen. Everyone always goes to the place of HIV or hep C, which of course is a very important area, but looking also as well at endocarditis, looking as well as like wounds and sores. And also when you create a safe place like that for people, it gives them dignity. That is the biggest thing for me is that sense of dignity. So when people can go about their life and they can see that what they're doing right now it's about healing and health. It can kind of help bring down that misconception that is about them getting free drugs. And then I explain that when we are able to provide that for them, it also brings down other harms where people can put themselves into other harms in order to try and, and get drugs. Or, you know, for example, we've got youth out there putting themselves in, making them even more vulnerable to try and get substances. Or, you know, it helps to decrease the amount of crime out in the out in the communities so then um, our individuals aren't you know traumatized by healthcare systems or not traumatized by law enforcement um, so this way we help to create a way for them to to decrease shame increase safety and give them the care that they need and to help them address their goals on what they want for their own recovery. You know, I think that it, it's such society right now is so big on the idea of abstinence. They don't really understand that it's not just about, oh, okay, well, if you want to stop, you'll stop. We have to really discuss that there's so much more behind substance use. There's trauma, there's marginalization, there's, you know, oppression that's out there. And it, coming from a place of privilege myself, it's, I've had to learn how to be humble and listen to the stories and to completely reshape my thinking around substance use and, and racism and oppression that is out there. And understanding that I have so much internalized uh, racism and oppression, you know, working in this system for so long. I do want to go back to that question that you had about what was my training about harm reduction in school. And I'll tell you, I graduated in 1999 and there was no training about harm reduction. It was all about abstinence and it was all about there was still so much stigma, not just about substance use, but mental health in general. There was a very much us and them mentality. The idea that, oh, as nurses, you know, we are never we are impervious to mental health concerns or substance use concerns. However, right now we're starting to see that when it comes to nurses, we're, we go through so much in our career, like compassion fatigue, burnout. We see so much trauma. We experience so much trauma. So many nurses, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic, the amount of mental health and substance use is going up with our colleagues. And so I've heard that with nurses, if they're wanting to get treatment, they go to their employers, they go to their unions or whatnot, and they're put on an abstinence model. When we know that it's harm reduction, that is more what we're taught now for our clients and is evidence-based. So that's also a big topic for me is like, how does that look like for nurses who are struggling with substance use? So I think that's an area as well that I'd like to go into and maybe do more research and, and help advocate for. Yeah, I think that's such an important point you bring up, Cheryl, about it's not just us and them. It's not positioning ourselves as nurses as 
experts in this or having all the answers and then clients we just kind of download information onto that it's really a conversation that impacts us on a professional level and a personal level. And I love that you talked about decreasing shame and increasing safety, because I think that's so much where these conversations ought to go and not so much focused on the, well, we gave clean needles end of story. No, it's one of the biggest things that I would say staff coming into the program I work with and I'm orienting them or students. And I always say first things first, the biggest thing that we can offer our clients right now is sanctuary, respect, a sense of dignity and self agency. And so that's what really drew me into working in harm reduction, especially in the downtown east side, because you have to take a step back and you have to see your, that it's their neighborhood, it's their community, and it's their story. And they're the ones that are, that are leading the care. You know, of course, we you know we have to maintain medical practice and things like that. However, at the end of the day, if my client is saying to me, no, I do not want this, I am leaving 100%. That is your decision. Or even say, for example... There's certain sites that they're allowed to inject to, you know, and we tell them what's safe or whatnot. And, you know, there's a certain way that we'd like to do things, but from a harm reduction perspective, if it's getting in their body and it's helping them and it's their choice in their body, we have to respect that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You mentioned that harm reduction wasn't part of your formal education and training in nursing school. Can you comment since then on perhaps some of the training that you've received around harm reduction or where you have gone to, to help? improve your practice around this area? Oh, 100%. Definitely on the job training, definitely through my health authority that I work under, definitely through mentors. Currently I'm getting my master's, also learning as well through my program. The Harm Reduction Nurses Association of Canada, their um, association that I would really highly recommend. A colleague of ours, uh, uh, you know, that we all know, she was the one who helped introduce me into getting to this line of work and who also introduced me into to the HRNA. So I would also recommend them as well. And also to, like I said, listening to the perspectives of, of our clients, of our people whom we serve. What does harm reduction mean to them? And when I say the word safety and sanctuary, that the word sanctuary actually came from one of my clients. I said, that's a really good point. Because he says, when I come here and it is calm and it is safe, I feel like it's a sanctuary. I feel like it's the one place I get a sense of peace for at least five or 10 minutes, you know? So those are, those are the places that I have gotten my education and where I would recommend others getting their education from as well. Yeah, it's interesting how it's not normally part of undergraduate nursing education, or it's something that's only been introduced very recently. Even just for the change cycle, that was something that was actually introduced to me by a new grad. I was like, what? What is this? You know, and this was about seven years ago. And, and that's when it started to uh, click in my head about, oh, okay, this is something that I really believe in and jive in. And my background was initially working with child and youth. And of course, there's definitely more of an abstinence model. And so, you know, the idea about speaking about drugs or even the idea of harm reduction was like a no-no because you didn't want to look like you were condoning substance use when it's like, you know, having just a discussion about it and normalizing the discussion when it's out there. I mean, we live in BC, there is so much out there for kids to, to access. I think helping with the shame and the stigma of it. And when you create dialogue, that in and of itself is also harm reduction, providing 
creating that safe space to talk about it and giving education and not from a fear base, you know, like, oh my God, if like, you know, like Nancy Reagan and her war on drugs, like this is your brain on drugs, you know, of course, you know, there is effects on our brains and on our body and, and we can't, we can't dismiss that, but we also have to look at it from like, why? Are people using substances? What is happening out there to people to make them feel that they that substances are something that helps them heal whatever is going on for them? And even just the word like um, language also really matters in harm reduction. Like that was another thing that I was never that I had to really shift because when I was in nursing school, the word addict was normalized. And then now, oh my God, I think back on the times and I say, I've said the word addict or even typed it out. Like, I'm like, oh my God, I think back on it now. And I'm just like racked with anxiety and shame, you know, um, to think that that was an okay label because working where I work now, we see our clients twice a day, almost every day, and you create a relationship with them. So those labels are gone. It's not like, oh, this is an addict. It's like, no, this is, let's throw a name. This is like Sam, or this is Bob. Like, you know, that they're, they're people, not just labels. Yeah, language is so important. And you're so right. Changes happen over time. When we know more, we, we do better. Like you've had a, you've had a long career. You've been a nurse. <laughs> 21 years you've worked in lots of places and you haven't always worked in harm reduction you haven't always worked in the downtown east side no. but in some of the other places that you've worked career what was the attitude towards like substance use and substance use <laughs> and what was the attitude towards harm reduction you know definitely working inpatient and I will say like I I have to say that okay I've learned some of the most amazing things and seen some of the most healing moments in inpatient but I've also seen the complete opposite where I've had some of the most heartbreaking and morally distressing times as well you know I think starting off as a young nurse like I was about 19 when I started nursing school 18 or 19 and so I was just my brain wasn't fully developed yet and here I am being trained to work with people and under models that were evidence-based back then and language not mattering as much back then and so working from that place and inpatient there was definitely like this dismissive oh they're an addict or oh well of course this is just substance use psychosis or even just the idea of trauma it was more like, oh, well, this is a borderline personality or as opposed to looking at like past the diagnosis and going, what happened to you? Who are you? And not using those labels and not dismissing any type of mental health concern or any concern, period, simply based on the choice that this client, that this individual use substances. So that was definitely the attitude. And I decided to move away from inpatient and get a little bit of a break and work into the community. And there was still a little bit of that, but not as much. Um, and then also working in the emergency department. And I found that, you know, there definitely still is, of course, the stigma there, you know. Um, however, I think working in the emergency department, I did definitely, that was where I started to really embrace harm reduction because the nurses around me gave me the language, gave me more information about it, didn't dismiss the diagnoses or or the concerns simply just because of substance use. They would say things like, well, he's got psychosis, but we can't just say it's because they're, you know, they're, they're intoxicated. And so I'm like, okay, this is a really, it was a great shift. And it was very humbling as well, because, you know, being corrected about my language or being corrected about my viewpoint and at first of course you know, there's a bit of an ego death right where you're thinking well I've been doing this for a long time and you're going to correct me but 
if you go to the if we're really going to be client centered or human centered you have to be able to take a step back as a nurse and go is how i'm operating or how i'm thinking is this in the best interest of the people whom i serve do i feel good as a human being you know being out there helping other people and what kind of nurse i do i want to be so i decided to work more in the community and i and then i got an opportunity to do more concurrent disorder program and that's when i was like okay all right really doing more research into it trauma informed practice and it just really clicked for me and i think also being a woman of color and understanding that oh wait a second you know there is so much oppression in our society and and i've been labeled and i've been you know i've had my experiences of people just saying oh well that's because she's an asian lady or you know having all these things and i just kept thinking to myself oh my gosh like how can i truly be happy as a person and be effective as a nurse if I continue to have these viewpoints and to not shift the way that I operate and and learn better and do better. You know, I just didn't want to, because 21 years is a long time, right? And, and life is too short to not feel a sense of meaning in your work and to feel that, you know, you're... How do I put this? Like that you're going in there and that you're actually seeing your clients as individuals because when you there's been times where I've been burnt out and um, you know, three three of the main symptoms of burnout is that emotional exhaustion, feeling um depleted in terms of like personal achievement. You don't feel like you're you're effective. But the biggest thing is that sense of like depersonalization where to handle all the things that are going around you you don't see your clients as people anymore, you know? And I didn't want to do that. I don't want to go through this earth not being able to see people for who they are and and to truly create relationship. That is the biggest thing as well, is like that us and them mentality. Like, of course, boundaries are good, 100%. But there's definitely this idea that we can't express care or even love for our clients. It's always like this hierarchical look of like, well, I'm the nurse and I'm the expert and you're in the bed and I'll be over here in the nursing station, <laughs> you know? And that to me just didn't equate to being a good human, let alone being a good nurse. Absolutely. And I really want to acknowledge, Cheryl, just how powerful I think it is to hear you talk about and hopefully anyone who's listening to this episode will also just hear that message from you that 21 years into your career, you are still learning, you're humble, you have had many iterations to the way that you approach and work with clients. And I think that that can be such a powerful message because sometimes as nurses, I remember as a new grad for sure, having more senior nurses kind of say, oh, you don't, you don't know, you know, like you'll learn the ropes, you'll learn the way. And so I think it's so powerful for you to still see yourself as so much of a learner over two decades into your career and that keeps it so fresh. Yeah, I, definitely. I mean, I've been very guilty of being that old nurse. <laughs> I think we all have it different <laughs> times. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you'll get the reality of this, right? You'll see, you'll see how it is. And and you know, there 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 is a lot of wisdom. I've gotten a lot of wisdom from more from more senior or seasoned nurses, 100 percent but I never, ever wanted to be that seasoned nurse that um, wasn't able to take a step back and go, wait a second, I could learn something here and to not be humble and 
And going back to school is when it was is also a big eye opener as well. Because right now I'm taking my master's in clinical education and I had to think about, you know, what is my teaching philosophy? And of course, like you, your own personal values are going to come into it. And like three of the biggest tenets that I like to work under is the idea of thoughtfulness, enthusiasm and, and transformative pedagogy. So and I really believe I'm like, wait a second, working in harm reduction had solidified for me the idea of thoughtfulness of being and thoughtfulness being that you're you're humble you put your client first or your the student first their needs first you listen to their story you have clear boundaries but also knowing that you're able to do so from a place of respect and mutuality and then enthusiasm being that when you go into work you have a positive outlook or an authentic way of being there's always a quest of wanting to to learn from the people around you that you are a co-learner throughout this earth. Um, you may know a lot of things about certain things, but you are always going to be a co-learner and that your enthusiasm shows your investment in other people. And then lastly, the transformative pedagogy part being about looking at how we can create systems where people feel there's equity for them. And, but the most important thing is that creating transformative relationships where you get the other person who's in your care or in the same room with you to understand just how important they are in this world and how interconnected we are and how much we matter to one another. So yeah, those are some of the biggest lessons I've learned along the way after making very many mistakes, <laughs> after burning out and after having to pick up some pieces and go, wait a second, it's never too late to take a shift and to learn and to do better. Can you share some of the impacts or anecdotes of how har a harm reduction approach has impacted clients in your practice? So kind of hmm. maybe some salient moments or takeaway things where you thought, oh yeah, this is we are pointed in the right direction with this approach? 100%. I always get the question, how do you know that this program is successful? Because people always think, oh, well, when you, when you come into you know, a, a harm reduction program, everyone thinks, does that mean that they'll stop using drugs altogether or they'll use less or whatever? It's always about like, what is the goal of the client? So for example, I recently had a, a client who, just lovely, amazing human being who hadn't been accessing healthcare for a while. Because where I work, our program is within a primary healthcare model. And by getting her into our program, we were able to connect her with so many different services and get her to be more social, come and um, feel a sense of connection. And what she said is that, oh, I'm, I'm fixing less, I'm smoking more. But when I come here, I'm happy. And then I'm not kidding you, she said, and I feel loved. And we don't hear that word very often. And so, and I, and that's not the only time that I've had a client say, I feel loved. I'm tearing up a little bit. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> because um, that just means so much, you know, to feel that they come in and that they feel happy and that they feel loved. That for me, right there, going into work and feeling that I am helping to help clients feel that they have a sense of belonging is very huge. It's such a change in perspective too from you mentioned before that as nurses sometimes we get so caught up in this idea of we're professionals and we have boundaries and you mm -hmm. have those boundaries in order to be a professional you don't want to get too close and it's such a shift to think to go into the space of care and compassion and then realize that we're actually we are like family and nurses are like family too. Yeah, especially downtown Eastside. And when we look at the overdose pandemic, you know, people are dying. 
people are dying overnight. And so you, you learn to never take for granted your client's presence. And so I say, when somebody says, what is success? I said, they're here today, you know, they're here and they're alive and we see them and we learn about their lives and they come and they tell us about some of the most intimate things about them. You know, they come in and they're, they, there's so much loss in their life and they share with us and they grieve with us and they celebrate with us. It's hard not to use the word love. It's hard not to use the word family because with our program, with our clinic, you know, we create relationships where our folks have been abandoned and, and, and don't have a sense of family, but when they come to the clinic, that is, that is their main, their main point of not just care, healthcare or mental health care. It's their main point of feeling a sense of community. And it does start to feel like a family. And I'm pretty lucky to work in an area where relationship is big and um, that that hierarchical kind of us and them is very much, it's, it's not there because it's not going to work. It doesn't work. If you work from a harm reduction model, you have to have authentic engagement and you have to actually care. And our clients will know if you're lying, you know? They'll know if it's inauthentic. And so I always tell people, if you're going to come and work in the downtown east side or if you're going to work in harm reduction you it's okay to care i mean people are afraid to care because sometimes it hurts but we can't avoid real emotion i think we protect ourselves once again going back to the idea of like depersonalizing well if i'm if i depersonalize it then i'm able to handle the stress of it but is that really handling the stress are you really are you really in the moment you know are you really being a mindful nurse if you don't truly create that real connection and really care and, and, and are an open heart. Yeah. It seems like such a basic, like such basic principles of nursing, but so mm -hmm. in some ways I'm, I'm wondering like, what are some of your hopes about the future of harm reduction practice and especially nurses role? That's a really big question. <laughs> oh, the, the future of harm. I think I just, I think first and foremost, I think I want people to understand that harm reduction isn't just about giving clean needles. It isn't just about the idea of like, oh, it'll make them stop doing drugs. I really want harm reduction because one big thing that I did notice that a lot of people don't understand that harm reduction is about, is, is about social justice. It is about relationship. There's so much a focus on, on substance and really harm reduction can be in everything that we do. Like, I'm going to throw a question back at you. Like, if you were to think about, for example, like what areas you're working in right now, like with youth, you know, if they're not on substances, but you're looking at harm reduction, like what are some of the things that, that you do? It's like, okay, well, here's a bus ticket. So that instead of you walking down the street late at night or whatever, in the dark, you might get hit by a car, you take a bus, right? So looking at harm reduction as a very global philosophy and approach to care. I think that's such a powerful thing. And to touch on and Cheryl, anytime I talk about harm reduction in my work as a conscious way of trying to push back against that us and them narrative, I talk about things like brushing our teeth is harm reduction because yes. if we get cavities and um, we don't take care of our dental health, then that will cause our body harm. Wearing seatbelts is harm reduction. And it's so wild, as Michelle was saying, that sometimes on the one hand, sometimes these ideas feel novel or it feels mm -hmm. like something that we need to like really bring to the forefront. And then at the same time, it feels like it should be the most basic fundamental thing that mm. connects us as healthcare providers and connects us across nursing and medicine and yeah. allied health is that creating a sense of belonging and connection 
is the greatest tool we have in some ways, but it can get lost so easily. Yeah, like the idea that, you know, harm reduction is, starts from us just being present and being mindful and being ready to listen and being ready to care. I think that would be a first step. <laughs> we are all subject to, I don't know what, what would be the proper word, to suffering, right? Mm -hmm. and, and how we display our suffering or how we handle our suffering, who are we to judge? Are there any final words or kind of resources you'd like to recommend that our listeners check out or just any other things that we haven't touched on already or that you want to emphasize again? Um, I think I really want to emphasize definitely um, Harm Reduction Nurses Association. <laughs> I'm all about supporting, you know, nurses and nursing associations. They, they've really opened my eyes to a lot of things. I'm a member. I'll be honest, I haven't gone to <laughs> all the meetings, but they have really great information there. I also would um, recommend Van Du. I would also recommend come on down to the downtown east side, come ask questions, <laughs> you know, um, volunteer, right, if you're interested, and that's, that's what I would like to say, you know, that um, there's t-shirts coming out right now that are going to say the downtown east side is, is part of my Vancouver, so I think that, you know, come on down, take a look, volunteer, learn about the people, and Harm Reductioners Association, and also, too, our our good friend and colleague, Trish. She's a great, great resource. She's been one of my mentors as well. That brings us to the close for this episode of The Shift Change. So thank you for listening. And thanks for joining us, Cheryl. We appreciate so much your wisdom and your experience. And that's great having, it was great having you as a guest. Thank you so much for having me uh, and for this opportunity. And I just want to thank you for having this show and for giving voices to nurses and to helping to, no, no, to give, give, give voice to us and to show that there's, that we have so much diversity out there and that we can affect change in both little and big ways. So thank you so much. Harm reduction isn't a new concept. Nurses and healthcare clinicians are open to doing things to reduce all kinds of harms, like wearing a seatbelt in a car, promoting use of condoms to have safer sex, calling a cab instead of driving after having too many drinks, wearing sunscreen when going to the beach. When we talk about harm reduction in public health, it's come to mean reducing harms associated with substance use. But it's not just about giving out alcohol swabs and clean needles or giving people a safe supply of drugs. It's about how healthcare clinicians interact and accept people who use substances. Because so many people use substances and that's not gonna change. It's about meeting people where they're at. It's about building relationships so our patients, our clients, our service users trust us to be open and honest about their substance use. It's about compassion, care and relationship building. So let's stand together and make a shift. Thank you for listening to this month's episode of The Shift Change. We appreciate you taking the time to listen in. Please join us again next month when we'll be discussing the mental health system. If you're new to The Shift Change and want to hear more, please visit our website at www.theshiftchange.ca. There you can find links to old episodes, 
You can learn more about Claire and Michelle. You can see pictures and behind the scenes footage and see some of the different projects that we're working on. If you have a suggestion for an upcoming episode, please drop us a line. We also want to hear from you. We want to hear your feedback because we want to delve deep into topics that are important to nurses in all walks of life across Canada. So thanks again.